Lord, from the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the written word, may that same Spirit speak through me to give your word to all who seek to hear it today. And Lord, we pray that by that same Spirit, you will speak into the hearts and minds of all who listen to you and search through you to know the purpose and the aim and the direction of their lives. Father, we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. This story of the rich man with his great store of crops and his bigger and better barns is very much a parable for our own times. For many people in the contemporary society of the developed world, the outlook on life adopted by the rich farmer is the philosophy of our age. The creation of increasing wealth, the acquisition of more money, property and possessions, the consumerism that fuels the retail trade are all key features of our present-day materialist society. In recent decades, through a growing culture of individualism, an attitude has grown up of, I want it and I want it now, based on the belief that the more I have of the good things of life, then the happier and more fulfilled my life will be. The philosophy of our age is perhaps neatly summed up by Bernie Eccleston, the Formula One motor racing boss. When asked if he now had enough money with a fortune running into hundreds of millions of pounds, he replied, no, you can never have enough. What we need to be clear about in considering this parable is what it really is saying to us. I believe that its message is not that wealth is inherently evil, but that it is mistaken to make wealth the goal and focus of our lives. Elsewhere in the Gospels, Jesus warns that no one can serve two masters. A choice of one or the other has to be made. You cannot, as Jesus puts it, serve both God and mammon. Mammon was an Aramaic name, the language Jesus used, for a godlike figure personifying wealth and the acquisition of material things. For Jesus, a clear choice has to be made between serving a true God and a false God. For Jesus and his society, as for us and ours, you can't have it both ways. You have to decide which God, which master, you are going to serve in life. Jesus saw that our values in life, our principles, our choices and decisions, our lifestyle and behavior are all determined by which God, which master we choose to serve. Put another way, this parable challenges us to ask ourselves these questions. What is really most important to me in my life? What is the center and focus 
of my life? And what is its goal and purpose? Those like the rich farmer, Jesus might argue, either never face up to those questions or they answer them by choosing to serve the false god of mammon. George Harrison, the former Beatle, was taken by fame and fortune down the road of consumption and consumerism during his life. He amassed considerable wealth with a large mansion and many fine possessions. But at the end of his life, cut short by cancer, what he valued most was being surrounded by a loving family and close friends. And on one occasion, Harrison, who was not a Christian, said this, the search for everything else can wait. The search for God cannot wait. Through this parable and his other teaching on wealth, Jesus urges us to search for God and not to put off, not to wait to search for God. Because Jesus knows how critically important it is for us in our lives to discern those false gods that would keep us from discovering the one true God. False gods produce false religion and in turn, false values. True fulfillment in life can come only through the discoveries we make as we search for God. And the values by which we live come in turn from our worship and service of the one true God. At the end of the parable, Jesus makes the obvious point that the rich farmer cannot take his wealth with him when he dies. A point which the writer of Ecclesiastes knows only too well and reflects upon quite depressingly in his musings on human life and behavior. But when Jesus states the obvious here, he serves to draw a distinction not only between false and true gods. Those like the rich farmer are really poor because in contrast to those who serve the true God, they are not rich towards God. And they cannot be rich towards God because their whole focus, goal, and purpose in life have been directed elsewhere and have turned them away from God. So what then does it mean to be rich towards God? Or put another way, what does a life rich towards God look like? Well, let me offer two perspectives to answer that point. And the first perspective is centered on this life, and the second perspective on the life to come. So first, as the rich farmer in the parable did, let's focus on this life. Once that farmer had amassed his abundance of crops and wealth, he adopted an attitude to life which seemed to be encapsulated in the saying, eat, drink, and be merry. And he might have added, quite appropriately, for tomorrow we die. It's an attitude to life that is grounded 
firmly in the self or the ego. And therefore, it elevates what matters most by way of personal enjoyment and personal satisfaction of life. It wasn't a way of life that Jesus embraced in his teaching. When he was once asked to say, as it were, what was the most important rule or principle to live by, he turned away from the notion of self and personal enjoyment and fulfillment and said this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus' teaching was not centered on an inward perspective that was turned in towards the self, but rather on an outward perspective directed towards God and others. As Jesus shared his teaching on the kingdom of God, it was so often those who had little or nothing to lose by way of money, possessions, status, or power, who, Jesus said, were entering the kingdom of God. Such people didn't have, like the rich farmer, that inward perspective on themselves because their lives had nothing to sustain that kind of perspective. No, their hope lay beyond themselves in God who revealed himself to them as a humble itinerant preacher and teacher who personified love, grace, forgiveness, openness, acceptance, and truth. These were the poor who became rich because they discovered through the wholeness of life that Jesus gave them, a true sense of personal identity, fulfillment, and well-being. It was the outcasts, the sinners, the unclean, the poor, who were entering the kingdom ahead of others whom you might have expected to be at the front of the queue. It might be said that those who entered the kingdom in response to Jesus started to become truly human beings as they were intended to be. By learning from Jesus, they came to discover their true humanity. It seems to me that first, Jesus in his life showed us what a truly human being looks like before then revealing to us the very image and likeness of God. An image and likeness that is found in each and every one of us, if only we search hard enough to find it. The surprising people whom Jesus brought into the kingdom suddenly stumbled across an abundance of life, a wealth of riches, they didn't know could be theirs. They found that they had gained a rich inheritance, not in terms of money or possessions or lands, but in terms of being truly children of the living God. So let me ask you, 
Where is your perspective in life directed? Is it inward to yourself? A perspective based on your own personal enjoyment and fulfillment? Or is that perspective turned outward to the God revealed in Jesus? For the perspective we hold will determine the kind of wealth we seek in this life. Whether it's the wealth of mammon or the riches of God in Christ. And so to that second perspective, based upon the life to come. What the rich farmer overlooked, unlike the writer of Ecclesiastes, was that this life of eat, drink, and be merry comes to an end, and sometimes sooner than we imagine. So what then? What's next? It doesn't seem that the rich farmer had given a great deal of thought to that. At least the writer of Ecclesiastes realizes that someone else will gain the fruits of his toil, perhaps undeservedly so. But the question of what happens next is one we, of all people, should consider very carefully indeed. Living as we do in a consumerist society and in a secular age of skepticism, we of all people should have a perspective that goes beyond this life, that reaches out beyond the boundary of death. We of all people should have a firm hope that, as Hebrews says, is steadfast and certain, based upon Jesus and especially upon his death and resurrection. As Paul says, if for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we of all people are most to be pitied. But because God raised Jesus from the dead, God has a plan and purpose for each one of you. Not just a plan and a purpose for this life, but a plan and a purpose for all eternity. That means that God has ensured your eternal destiny and mine. But, but we need to cooperate with God in fulfilling that destiny. Of course, that destiny is about going to heaven when we die. But it goes beyond that. It's about God's ultimate plan and purpose for the whole of creation when a new heaven and a new earth will become as one. And our destiny is to share in the fullness of life that will come about as the closing chapters of Revelation reveal, when God will once again dwell with mortals and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or suffering, for all of that will have passed away and the only reality will be the fullness of life of God's new created order. And God wants you to be part of that new created order. God has a purpose and plan for you in that new heaven and new earth. So what we are about in this life, what we do now, what our values and principles are in this life, really do matter, not just for now, but for all eternity, because they are the stuff 
of which God will create that new created order. This isn't pie in the sky when you die stuff. Rather, it's the consequence of Christ's resurrection. Not just a consequence at a personal level, but the consequence at a cosmic level too. The ultimate purpose of what God intends for the whole creation. So who we are now and what we do now really do matter. For God is with us, fashioning your eternal destiny and mine with our cooperation in the life, for the life of the new creation. The beginning of our gospel passage, Jesus was asked to arbitrate in a dispute about inheritance. Jesus goes on to tell the story of the rich farmer as a warning against the lures of greed. And so the story of the rich farmer served as a moral tale for those who store up treasure for themselves but aren't rich towards God. So then, which of these two contrasting groups of people do you feel you fall into? Those who are rich towards God or those who are not? Which God is it do you feel you serve most, God or mammon? Or do you try to serve both? But Jesus says, you've got to choose. You really can't have the best of both. And where is your perspective on life focused? Is it centered inwards upon yourself? Or is your perspective naturally outwards towards God and towards others? And what thought have you given to your eternal destiny, to the ultimate purpose and plan that God has for your life in God's new created order? These are very big questions. But then Christian faith does have a whole host of very big questions because very big issues lie behind them. And we, of all people, as Paul might say, need to reflect upon questions such as these in order that we might be faithful servants of God and true disciples of Jesus Christ. So let me encourage you to give yourselves time to reflect upon these questions, to enter into what George Harrison said was something that couldn't wait, the search for God. And as you do those things, may you come to the answers that God holds out to us in Christ. Thanks be to God. Amen. Uh, please feel free to come to come this evening or, or, or to talk about it more afterwards. Uh, I think it's, it's far too big an issue or a question just to answer uh, right here and, and now. But if you would like to talk to me one-to-one -one after the service, then I'll have a conversation with you. Is that okay? You're welcome. So let's come together and let's share in our closing hymn. 
Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart.